Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Great to be back podcasting in person. Yeah, it's good to see you person in person, too, Paul, and it's always fun to uh, have guests on the show. It's our first live guest in a while, and I'm really excited to have him here, Dr. Clifford Moore, uh, who I had the pleasure of meeting at a Dental Nachos event a few years ago in, in Philly, and... Uh, Cliff is a practicing dentist and dental practice owner who grew up in a small town near Sandusky, Ohio. He became interested in dentistry after undergoing jaw surgery at the age of 14 to correct his bite. He went on to attend the Miami University for undergraduate and went on to Ohio State for dental school, where he was awarded the Navy HPSP scholarship. Uh, He served in the Navy as a dental officer. He was stationed with the Marines at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. And he married his wife, Katie, immediately upon starting active duty. He was later honorably discharged from the Navy after four years and did a what we call a, a hybrid oh, yeah. startup. Oh, yeah. Uh, that. Or a uh, uh, sort of a where, where he bought an existing practice that had been started up recently. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit, too. Uh, and that's in Lewis Center, Ohio, which is a, an affluent and growing community north of Columbus, um, and when he first did that, uh, that acquisition slash startup, he was working three other dental jobs six days a week. And he did that for two years until his practice became profitable. And after two years, things started to roll. And he's grown that practice from being a two-day-a-week practice with two employees and two ops and $300,000 in collections to a four-day-a-week, five-employee, four-op, plus a photo studio doing over a million dollars in collections. So uh, he also works as the Ohio director uh, for your United Dental Brokers of America, which uh, you and Bob Septak yeah, are. part are of our team. Good nacho. Yeah. Uh, League of Nacho Ordinary Brokers. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he's, he's part of that, of that crew. Uh, athletically, though, uh, Cliff is a very interesting guy. And uh, probably the main reason why we're here talking to him today uh, he ran in high school. He made it to uh, state championships in, uh, in the two-mile race. Uh, throughout his life, he worked out daily. He served as the physical readiness coordinator for his battalion uh, when he was in the Navy. He mostly did casual 5Ks, 10Ks, and casual half yeah, marathons, yeah, right. as he puts yeah. it, Paul. I like um, casual dining instead of like casual, <laughs> casual sprinting. You ever go out sprinting and run a casual, casual yeah, 13 yeah. mile yeah, race? I call it Paul? casual yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, he burned out on running eventually and he switched over to triathlons after he left the Navy um, and used a variety of training disciplines to balance his, his overwork schedule, which is something that I'm really interested in hearing more about how he balances his training regimen and his competition schedule. Uh, he went on to qualify for the USA Triathlon Age Group Nationals for five straight years in both sprint and Olympic distances. And then more recently, when uh, pools shut down during COVID, I can appreciate that, uh, he switched over to marathon and ultramarathon swimming, and he's done a handful of marathons. He's done two ultramarathons and a, uh, a backyard ultra, which is sort of a, an interesting thing in the ultramarathon world, which... Uh, Cliff will explain to our listeners. And uh, Cliff and his wife, Katie, have two children, Claire, who's six, and Joe, who's three. And so today we're going to talk to Cliff about what it's like to be a dental practice owner who balances his, his family life and a very successful ultramarathon uh, and endurance uh, athletic training and competition regimen. So without further ado, Here's Dr. Clifford Moore. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. 
No, this is such an honor. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Paul. Uh, it's been, uh, I've been a long time listener, a first time guest, and super excited to be with you guys today. It's an honor. Awesome, Cliff. I know the only reason you run all those miles is so you can eat as many nachos as possible. So I like to start with hard hitting questions. You know, <laughs> what I'm going to do is a two part one. If you, you know, if you go out and get nachos, which topping are you picking? What's your favorite topping? And I really want to compliment you on embracing the nacho way early on years ago uh, and, you know, really doing what I asked and getting get to dentists together for nachos. So what's one of your favorite nacho places in the area uh, if we came to Columbus to get nachos? Yeah, if you uh, came to Columbus, I would probably hit up a little strip mall place here just south of our home called Senior Antonio's, and I would make sure we get some jalapenos. As much as I like guac and some of the other toppings, if, if I'm picking, you know, it's uh, we're getting some heat on there. Awesome. So. Sounds good. And so, Cliff, it's, it's great. Like I said in, in your intro, I was, uh, it was nice to meet you uh, a couple of years ago in, in Philly, um, and you were at the event, and I think uh, representing uh, United Dental Brokers there. Uh, and we're also, as we joke, uh, we are social media uh, fitness app friends, so it's always nice to talk to a a social media friend yeah. in person. I have two of them in the, in the uh, on the on with us right now, you and Paul. Um, but if you can, you know, tell we're going to talk a little bit about your uh, your dental practice and your uh, that you own and how you you fit that into your life. But talk to our listeners a little bit about what you do. Uh, and what you compete in uh, from uh, an ultra marathon endurance standpoint. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rob. Uh, I know I'm super impressed of all your swimming. I'd call that ultra three, four, five K, you know, two, three miles a day when you're out there uh, much farther than I ever want to go <laughs> in the pool, but love following you on, on there on Strava. And yeah, so as you said in the intro, I grew up a runner turned triathlete to mix up the training and then when the pool shut down just couldn't swim and did less biking and swimming and focused on the running and I found my passion there again and did some sort of virtual marathons last year and just kept upping my mileage and pushing myself getting into these ultra marathons and so two ultra marathons this year yeah. and cliff what tell, tell our listeners what is an ultra marathon uh, yeah, I guess an ultra marathon would be loosely defined as anything further than a marathon. So I guess anything from, you know, 26.3 miles up to, you know, there are, are races that take place over days and hundreds of miles and things. But, um, you know, typically if someone were getting into the ultra marathon field, the first, you know, next distance would be like a 50K, uh, which would be about 31 miles or so. And then they go up from there. Cliff, from, do people you know, fight over those definite timed events? Yeah. I say, Cliff, do people fight over those definitions like dentists do over occlusion? Like, that's not really an ultra marathon or, you <laughs> the know. The are so chill. I mean, dentists yeah. are, you know, will fight over anything for, uh, you know, whatever reason. We, you know, Paul and I are always uh, lamenting on that. But, no, runners are super chill. These ultra marathons, people are usually, um, it's you know, talking throughout the whole thing and chatting. It's more of a lower pace than you would do for, you know, a 5K or something. And it's really a uh, an eating event where running takes place. You know, you're running for, you know, 10, 15, 24 hours. You have to take in a lot of calories, so it's a lot of fun to, you know, pack lots of salty and sugary foods and yeah, you just uh, kind of run in between all the eating. I don't want to. I don't want to be such a nice guy, but the next time I'll come and just do the eating part. If you can give me like a golf cart, yeah. I'll come along on the side. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's a lot more fun. So, so, Cliff, when so you didn't really you didn't run your first ultra marathon until somewhat recently. It sounds like. Yeah, this summer. Yeah, I really okay. uh, up the up the mileage and wanted to uh, just challenge myself, push my limits. I've never ran further than a marathon and ran two ultra marathons this summer. They're kind of different events, um, that I did, but June and July, my first two ultra marathons. So tell, tell our listeners yeah. what, what those distances were and what the, what the venues were for those. Yeah. The uh, first ultra marathon I ran last month was a timed event. Um, so it was 15 hours. It was a one and a half mile loop through the woods and outside Columbus, Ohio, kind of out in the country. And you just get as many miles as you can over 15 hours. You know, one and a half mile loop. I'd never ran further than a marathon and ran 45 miles that day. Um, yeah. And then the last one I did was the backyard ultra marathon, which is is very different. I can get into a little description on that. But yeah. it's the yeah. Tell the folks yeah, what that is. Uh, those things are that. That's one of those things that kind of blows my mind away. So yeah, to 
T- tell everybody about the format of that thing. Yes, yeah, so a backyard ultramarathon uh, created by the same guy that created it, the Barkley Marathons. If anyone ever, uh, if you ever want to kill an evening on YouTube, just look up Barkley Marathons, pop some popcorn, watch some people in some in some serious pain. But a backyard ultramarathon is. Uh, it's kind of odd. Every every hour, uh, starting about 6.30 a.m., all the runners that are there get on the line and run a 4.16-mile loop, or you could call it a four-mile loop, uh, you know, usually out in the country or something in the, in the woods. And you have as long as you want to run that, under as long as it's under an hour. If you run it in 40 minutes, you have a 20-minute break. If you run it in 50 minutes, you have a 10-minute break. But at the next hour at 7.30, everyone takes off again and 4.16 miles. And you do that over and over on the hour until uh, there's one person left standing. So you either quit uh, or you uh, don't make the hour cutoff back or you don't make it to the start line in time And until there's one person left. And these things typically go on for days. I ran 12 hours for mine, which is 50 miles, the farthest I've ever run. But I was about middle of the pack. There were people there. We start on Saturday morning, and it didn't end until early Monday morning. For the oh. winners, so the winner, I guess. What do people do during the night? There's no, there's no sleeping the entire time, Cliff. Uh, I guess if you could fit in a nap, if you finished in, you know, maybe 40, 45 minutes and could fall asleep real quick. But I think generally people don't. Wow. It's not, you know, your heart rate's up. You're coming down from, you know, running four miles through the woods. Uh, it's probably not enough time to to catch a nap there. Yeah, they're up for days. I mean, I, it's not my goal to do that or, you know, win one of these events. It's more of a personal thing with ultra marathons. You're sort of competing against yourself. Uh, and this event, everyone gets a didn't, does, uh, did not finish medal besides one person. Wow. <laughs> wow. Person wins. That sounds Everyone like dental school. That sounds like a dental school medal you give out. <laughs> it's yeah, the, yeah. Like only only one person, the rest of you are, your, your crown preps are terrible. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's, that's somewhat of like, you know, like the, uh, the sense of humor of the the creator of the race, as you said, the the Barkley Marathons yeah. is is just that's a, a nutty race. What is it like Tennessee? I think Cliff is that where? Yeah, yeah. The yep the the backyard ultra uh, world championships are in Tennessee in October. Then the Barkley Marathons are in the spring, I believe, late winter. And that's like a you could say it's like a five five loop um, run, about twenty twenty five miles a loop. It's unmarked through this just the wilderness of Tennessee and you, uh, you know, there's only been 15 finishers all time in the Barkley marathons. It's a pretty, you know, sadistic race and yeah, it's kind of the same thing. It's not really meant to be, you know, completed. There aren't a lot of winners in the Barkley marathon. Yeah. There's, and as you said, there's, I think there, there's a Netflix documentary, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that, that people could check out. It's, it's entertaining. It's not just watching people run. It's the characters that, that put the thing on, <laughs> too, because I think they've got the full distance. And then there's like a 60-mile a version, I think, Cliff, that he refers to as the fun run. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If you make three loops, it's called the fun run. Uh, only, you know, 15, 16 people in the 20-plus years of this race have ever completed the five loops. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's time cutoffs and, you know, weird things where if you're, you know, whatever number your bib number is, is the number you have to tear out of these. Uh, storybooks he puts around the woods to prove that you've been to each checkpoint. I mean, it's not your typical uh, race. I don't have any plans uh, to do anything like that, but the Backyard Ultras, uh, Laz Lake, the same guy who invented that. The, <laughs> the same twisted soul, That's funny. Yeah. Good stuff. So when you're doing this, Cliff, like, you know, as you said, I mean, you can't run for 12 or 15 hours without eating a lot. I mean, you're, yeah. you're burning, like, how many calories an hour are you burning and then, like, what are you doing to eating to, to replace those those burned calories? Yeah, you know, it usually ends up being about 100 calories a, a mile or so. So, you know, maybe 200 calories. So I'm burning between, you know, five and 10,000 calories in those ultra marathons. And everyone has their own strategy. You definitely have to practice it sort of when you're doing your other runs. You can't just show up on race day and, you know, throw all this different stuff in your system. But you know, at first it's more, um, you always want to stay hydrated, a lot of electrolytes, uh, doing about 16 ounces of electrolytes every hour, um, and you know, plenty of fluids and all that, especially in the summer. And then at the beginning, I try to eat more kind of real foods, um, some stuff that has some sodium or some sugar in it. I like the uh, peanut butter Uncrustables that my kids have introduced me to. Oh, nice. uh, <laughs> those are, are great to start out with. Uh-huh. Um, some foods like that, some salty things, you know, ch- chips and nuts and olives, pickles. 
um, just getting that sodium in your system, kind of whatever you're craving. As an ultra marathoner, usually they're craving something salty or something sugary, just depending on kind of what. I heard a story doing. once uh, that someone would do a New York marathon because I was a server. Cliff would do a New York yeah. marathon holding a tray the whole time with like a glass of champagne. You should do it holding <laughs> a whole cheese board and meats, right? That's the thing, you know. That's that should be the yeah, Cliff Moore signature. Yeah, send him out with some I, nachos. Uh, yeah, yeah, plate of nachos. Nachos. You got olives, cheese. Yeah, <laughs> right. That would be great. Let's yeah. the Philadelphia marathon, Paul. Let's go. We'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. The nacho plate back and forth. Actually, Sunday I'm running a a half a half marathon, and I plan on uh, carrying a flag the whole time to uh, and wearing a team red, white, and blue shirt for this local veteran charity I raise money for. Um, so it's kind of a shorter distance for me, but uh, like just go out and kind of have some fun and. Um, you know, carry the flag the whole time, the new challenge for me. Not really going for speed on that one. A little but upper body. Nacho plate next time. A little upper body workout with yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so you got into the ultra stuff somewhat recently, Cliff, but um, you had a, a background in, uh, in triathlons. Tell, tell folks about how you got into that and what some of your, uh, your achievements were uh, as a triathlete. Yeah, it was coming out of the Navy, you know, I was getting paid to work out every day, really. I ran the physical readiness program for our battalion, you know, 300-plus sailors and Marines and officers and, you know, came out of the Navy and started this practice and was working six days a week and kind of was burnt out on running, didn't know, I'm not going to beat my high school 5K time, I'm not going to, I didn't really want to do marathons or anything, and found myself not working out like I wanted to, which is, it's a big part of my life. And I was um, disappointed by that and wanted to throw in some variety, do a little running, but also challenge myself in swimming and biking, things I'd never really done before. And, you know, work that around my, you know, work life schedule, which were, you know, and family schedule, which we'll, we'll talk about, but started to get into triathlons, maybe swim twice a week, bike twice a week, run twice a week, really keeps the variety up. And started in the pool, the local, you know, 20 meter, 25 yard, whatever, you know, community pool and just kind of hoping that the lifeguard doesn't jump in after me because I'm just <laughs> trying to, you know, if you've ever, you know, if anyone hasn't swam laps before, uh, if they're not, you know, Rob Montgomery going out there doing two or three miles a day, uh, you know, it's one thing to grow up and you think, oh, I grew up swimming. I'll be fine. You know, I'd swam in my cousin's pond, my aunt's pool. Uh, but then you get out there and try to do laps and you make it maybe down and back and you are just clinging to the side out of breath. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, took all winter to get to the point where I could swim, you know, half a mile, which is a sprint marathon or sprint triathlon distance for the swim. And yeah, they, they, they just really stop you for a second. They, the, swim, but, yeah. the, the bummer about swimming, you know, for anybody that, you know, is, is a swimmer or does this, you know, like the more you swim, the more you have to swim for it to mm. be a workout. Like, Back in those early days, Cliff, like you could probably swim for 15 minutes and that was all you needed to do. Yeah, like right. that was great. And the better oh, yeah. shape you get in with swimming, it's this curse <laughs> that you just have to do more and more to get anything out of it. It's, uh, it's a bad cycle. So I, I can totally appreciate that. Yeah, luckily I never got very uh, fast at swimming, so it always feels like a good workout to me. The way my body is built, I'm sort of more of a runner or, or cyclist. But, you know, challenged myself into that and got to the point where I was doing sprint and Olympic triathlons and uh, qualified for USA triathlon age group nationals five years in a row and was fully last you know spring doing the whole thing you know uh, so getting up to where I was doing three swims a week three bikes a week three runs a week and then they shut the pools down and uh, didn't have any sign of them opening anytime soon and just uh, started adding the miles and doing these marathons and ultra marathons for the past year. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. So, yeah, so COVID, around the Philadelphia area, we were lucky that there are a lot of sort of neighborhood, local, we'll call like summer club pools yeah. that put in these aftermarket, real low budget heaters <laughs> and, and heated the pools up to like, you know, 80 yeah. some degrees. So like we were swimming outside here in February and like where we were literally shoveling snow on the deck wow. to to get in the pool, which was, which was a blessing. I'm, I'm hoping it, it continues, you know, after COVID, because it's a lot nicer to swim outside than it is to swim in an indoor pool. But it definitely mixed, uh, mixed things up a lot for, for everybody at every level. I mean, you look and see, you know, Katie Ledecky, you know, great American Olympian, was working out in a, uh, a Stanford alum's backyard pool yeah. where she lived at their house for wow. like several months and uh, working out with some of her teammates at Stanford there. And they 
they were all just kind of sheltering in, in place there right. and, and training in somebody's backyard, 25-yard wow. pull. It's like Rocky Four brought to life. It's, it yeah. really is. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's it. And, and that's, it's, it's so hard for, you know, really big-time uh, world-class athletes to deal with this yeah. stuff. Like, you can't just say, like, oh, yeah, I've been out of the pool for six months. Like, right, yeah. That's just not a thing. You know, yeah. and so it's cool that that you were able to to pivot, Cliff, when when things kind of changed and the deck got shuffled, and and moved into the ultra marathon stuff. But so when you were doing the triathlons and and training for those, you were that's during the time that you were a practice owner, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like you said, went from you know six days a week for the first year to really uh, I did that in the Navy as well. I moonlit out in town on evenings and weekends, so. Uh, used to sort of putting in a lot of hours. You graduated from dental school, and everyone kind of thinks, uh, "Okay, I've made it." You know, it's uh, it's crazy from here, but it's, uh, if you want to do well, it's a lot of hard work, at, at least at first. Um, I put in put in my dues and got to a little more balance now, but was always fitting in that part of my life. It's a priority for me and my wife, and you know, always wanted to put an emphasis on on fitness. I'm a lot better uh, husband. Uh, father practice owner when I'm, uh, you know, burning some calories. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. But, you know, was there ever a time, though, Cliff, when you felt like, geez, I'm working six days a week, three jobs, I've got this practice, I don't have time to work out? Like, I, and, and did you, yeah. did you succumb for any period of time? Yeah. Or like, because, I mean, part of the challenge that I've seen in my personal and professional life is I've very much gone in cycles with what I've yeah. done athletically that, I can go for a year or two and then kind of trails off and things get busy and then I kind of fall off and then kind of get back onto it. But was, did you ever have a time when you weren't working out to this extent or we just were, you know, yeah. quote unquote too yeah. busy? Yeah. I mean the, that first six months out of the Navy where I went from getting paid to work out, you know, time set aside in your Navy schedule. Um, you know, you had physical fitness tests twice a year. I was running the physical readiness program, uh, you know, really working out six, seven days a week to that six days a week practice ownership, young, you know, daughter at home. I went, you know, the first six months or so of practice ownership out of the Navy, big life transition, uh, moving back to Ohio, all that, starting business, working three jobs. Uh, but yeah, that first six months I didn't, was not working out like I wanted to. I would get in some runs here and there, but there was no specific goal or race in mind. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't a priority. And I you know, was struggling, uh, you know, just mentally and physically, um, and found that making that a priority and making the time for it, even <laughs> during a very crazy time of our lives actually allowed me to be a better, um, you know, it helped my physical and mental health by making that a priority, but that's the only way you really get there is just, you know, prioritizing it even when there's lots of other, you know, crazy stuff going on. So. I mean, how do you feel like it does make you a better father, husband, and, and practice owner? Yeah, I think it's my relief. You know, it's my time to sort of, uh, you know, meditate or pray. Um, you know, it's my mental health, like, valve. You know, I get some time to think about some things, think through some things, challenge myself. I just, I've been doing it for so long, and it's been such a part of my life since I was in middle school that it just doesn't, I don't feel balance i don't feel and one like, of the things i can chime in with clip i think it's great is rob is a three swims three miles a day you run 100 miles so i think our listeners a lot of times i'll just use the word because i'm a listener are super intimidated by this level of fitness um accomplishments but i will share that i've made being active a bigger part of my life when i wake up and it's kind of like playing some golf doing something i think a lot of dental personalities i'm sure attorney personalities too and i've had this are a very all or none right if you can't do anything if you can't do run 10 miles, I'm going to run no miles. And I've put a balance in that because I think that it just is like you said, Cliff, it's this stress reduction thing in your day as a business owner, I think that is just so important. Um, and I don't think that's talked about enough in dental school on a variety of ways. We've had a lot of great episodes where Rob, we've talked to people about mental health and now we're really digging into the uh, physical fitness part. But I just kind of wanted to highlight, you know, you don't have to run 50 miles to be fit, you can kind of incorporate in any way. And I've struggled with that myself over the years. Oh, certainly. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. You know, I have patients all the time, these patients see on social media, the stuff I'm doing and they're, oh, I should go out and do what you do. And, you know, it, it, that's not it. I mean, honestly, just walking the dog with some earbuds, putting in that Dental Amigos podcast, you know, um, you know, every morning, 
30 minutes. I mean, I think the American Heart Association had a really important study over the last year, or it was a long-term study they released the last year that said if you have elevated heart rate exercise, nothing specific, um, but for two and a half hours a week, you know, so maybe 30 minutes a day for five days a week, uh, you reduce your risk of heart disease by 50%, you know, so it's just a huge, um, you know, I think anyone can fit that into their life if it's the right priority. And it has to be something you like, like a diet. You know, if you're, I'm going to go on a sardine diet. Well, if you eat sardines, right. it's not going to work. But, yeah. you know, if you find something you like to eat that's healthy, you just eat more of it. If there's something that you do that, you know, something you like to do, whether it can be lifting weights, walking, elliptical, swimming, running, or whatever, if you commit to it and make it part of your schedule and make it a priority in your, you know, life and family, then yeah, anyone can improve their health here, but no, not everyone has to swim three miles or run 50 miles. Yeah, I mean, I get up, uh, Rob's inspired me. I get up earlier. It's just about, it's about simple strategy. I get up, get coffee. I, I walk and read a book. So you think, how do I walk and read a book? That's hard. Because I walk and I listen to a podcast and podcasts like reading books. And it's, you're able to, you know, do two things for yourself at the same time. So hopefully our listeners, I, I found that to just be something that's kept me sane during the pandemic. I was during the beginning of the time of the pandemic. Rob is, is I was forced to get out with Drew because she was under two and Daphne had Zoom school. Ran but into that was a few good. times on Spurs. Yeah, yeah. So I had her, I strapped on it. It was like a 20 pound weight vest. So that was good, right? So, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, get up, be active, yeah. listen to a podcast focused around your business and you get kind of get in the right mind frame for the day. Well, we've talked, I've talked about that with my, uh, the people that the attorneys and the, the staff in my office that a lot of times you feel like you're too busy to work out. And I feel like when I'm really busy, I can't afford not to work out because it just makes you so much more productive. You make better decisions. You're able to think more clearly. Um, and that, you know, that's when you absolutely yep, have sure. to do it, you know, and, and when I'm super busy and my wife knows, I'm like, I got to go swim. You know, like yeah. there's, there is no time in the day for it, but there's got to be because if there's not, then I'm not going to be able to, to accomplish what I need to do professionally. Um, and so I think that's really the paradox, you know, and then and that's why, you know, a lot of people say, you know, where do you find the time to do yeah. it, Cliff? And, and and if you make it a priority, like you said, uh, and you, you really see you do it uh, consistently, you can then appreciate what the difference is between the cliff who's working out yeah. and the cliff who's not working out. And, yeah. you know, if you're a better father, a better husband, a better practice owner, you're a better person to be around, your stress level is lower, you're healthier, then, you know, it's just part of, of yeah, your daily sure. your daily routine. You know, it's, yeah. it's you're eating, you're driving to work, you're doing your workout, you're practicing yeah. dentistry. It's not, it's not optional at a certain point. But, Cliff, like, what is your kind of typical training regimen you know what what times how many days what are you kind of doing where do you fit that into your to your day yeah um it's it's not an answer most people want to hear but it's just early you know i get up at 5 30 i run from you know about 6 to 7 30 give or take i take my daughter to school that's kind of my cool down i'm like sweating so i'm gonna be sitting there anyways might as well uh, right. just, i do my cool down while i'm driving her to school and back uh, you know, drink the you know, protein recovery, whatever I need while I'm driving her to school and back. By the time I get back, I can get in the shower because I'm not sweating anymore. And then I'm in the office, you know, by 8.15, 8.30 and seeing patients from 9 to 5. Um, that's during the week. And then, you know, on weekends, it's a balance, a much more balance with the family. It's that priority where usually one morning I'll get up early and still run and my wife's kind of getting up with the kids. But another morning on the weekend, I'll let my wife sleep in and I'm running, you know, whenever she gets up, you know, 9, 10 a.m., whatever, whenever she's up and down and ready for the day, then I take off. And, uh, and when I get back, she's, she does a couple hundred miles a month on the Peloton. So it, she fits that in, you know, while I'm at the office and the kids are at school or down for a nap. But then on the weekend when I get home from a long run or whatever, I'm coming to the door and I'm cooling down and recovering and she runs upstairs and gets on the, on the bike and it's just takes place of other things. There could be other things we're doing with our mornings on the weekends, but that's what our, you know, weekend mornings look like. So. Yeah, that's cool. And so, and also tell our listeners too. So that's, it's obviously there's the, the personal aspect to it, that it's helping you perform better again, as a father, a husband and a practice owner, but let's talk about and tell our folks how you sort of use, since they use, but how you, you, 
you've, I guess, used this as, as part of your, your networking and your community with other dentists? And, you know, do your patients get involved in this? And to what extent is, is you know, Dr. Cliff Moore, the Dr. Cliff Moore who, who has this kind of regimen? And, and how do you kind of use that and, and, and work that into your practice? Yeah, you know, I share on social media the different things that I'm doing, uh, you know, try to show other people. It's part of the reason I wanted to come on today, to show other dentists that it's, you know, possible if you make it a priority and, and fit it in your schedule. But share that on social media. But what I do with these ultra marathons, both the ultra marathons I did this summer, I did some fundraising with them. Uh, you know, I dedicated $10 per mile to a local veteran charity that I, and then I would put a link up on social media to, uh, hey, if anyone else wants to contribute, uh, you know, so I did that for a local veteran charity for each of the ultra marathons I did this summer and encourage others to, you know, give if it's a cause that, you know, that they're passionate about as well and engage in our community, give back to veterans. Uh, that's, you know, is a huge part of our practice is to serving our community. That's our practice tagline. That's our mission. And that I can make these ultra marathons and this goofy stuff that I do uh, part of our practice life and our community and my family. And we live right here. We live a mile from the practice and we're, we're just a big part of our community. Treat it like a small town where I'm from. And it's kind of, it's fun using these kind of goofy ultra marathon races to uh, raise awareness for veteran charities and, and fundraise for them and, you know, donate my, some money myself from the practice to do these local veteran charities. That's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, we see, uh, you know, the, the people that are, you know, working with uh, specifically uh, ideal practices, the startup practice consultants, they're very big on having that mission and that give back to to the community and, and doing things that are really more organic, you know, that doesn't have to be this like purposeful thing, like find something that's going to work and then do it. You know, I think one of the great things about being a practice owner is having the ability to, to own the practice and promote the practice and operate the practice the way you want to, you know, and, it, and it's cool that you're able to really use this as a platform to do other things that you really like to do from a fundraising standpoint and just to be involved in the community at that level. And really it turns out, and it's not why you, you go in to do it, but it turns out to be a very successful formula yeah. from a marketing standpoint. You know, well, and patients when, want to know you as real people. And, you know, I grew up with a dad as a dentist, yeah. and this was a lot easier back in the olden days because there was no social media, so they would know you as a real person. By coaching a basketball or soccer team or literally seeing you at an ice cream place at night, it was kind of a quaint life. I, I would even, you know... Uh, encourage my amigo Rob and his team to use their Instagram stories to focus to showcase their real person things. I think their clients want to know you as real people. I mean, I think people who work with you want to know you as people outside of what you do and in a way that feels comfortable to you. And maybe it's through athletics, maybe it's through a hobby, maybe it's through your family. You know, we have an Instagram account for our dental office. And I, uh, whenever I do a story that has, you know, something I did with my children in it, it gets three times the views of me saying, you should whiten your teeth. If you want to whiten your teeth while whitening your teeth, right? So, you know, I mean, Rob and his team, uh, they have, you know, their team EBITDA meetings and they talk about a lot of content about, you know, dental focus attorney stuff, but you get to know your advisors and brokers and all these people. And I just think, I mean, obviously a huge Gary V fan. And I just think being that type of person where you're authentic and genuine just brings, brings like-minded people to you. Yeah. Our, you know, practice being part of our community, all that really, I think, comes from the small town where I grew up. If you owned a dental practice there and you didn't sponsor the local Little League team and you weren't out at the Friday night football game and, uh, you know, out there in the community and lived nearby, uh, it would be, people would think that was weird. You know, so that's just how I operate, even though it's a much larger community here, you know, almost 30 local schools with you know, 22,000 students in the local school district. It's not a small area, but when you're out there and you're active, a lot of these, the people that live here are, are transplants and, you know, from smaller areas and appreciate that. And it does become a smaller community. And, and honestly, it's helped build our reputation over the years. It's a longer play than uh, just pumping a ton of money into, into marketing, but it's the way I like it. I know other practice owners that don't want to live in their community, don't want to be seen at the grocery store, but, but I like that stuff. And it's just part of our practice identity. 
Yeah, thanks so. We had Dr. Desiree Yazin on our podcast. She's just, I think, just such an awesome role model for you know. And she does this in a very sophisticated but genuine way with her social media. That you know, she basically is is creating content for the types of patients she would like to see in her practice, right? And you know, not just from a clinical point. You know, I talk about the core cliff of you know mind, words, and hands. Also, as a person, and this you know brings you many patients uh, who are interested in what you do. It will bring you many clients that are interested in what you do, but you have to do it in a way that's authentic and also just sometimes is a little putting yourself out there in a comfortable way, right, Rob? I mean, you know, yeah. people say to me, I don't want to post on dental nachos everything about my life. I'm like, well, nobody wants to hear everything about your life. But if you <laughs> bought a practice recently and you're trying to, you're struggling balancing all the bookkeeping, you know what? That's very authentic. And if you share that story, the nacho community will come to your rescue and say, hey, you could use this or do this or I use QuickBooks. And I just think we need to do more of that as a society, but especially our dental universe. Well, I think, and then authentic works too. Right. You know, when, you know, it sounds like something that your parents said when you were little, you're like, be yourself, right? right? Yes. Well, you be yourself and you can do something that, you know, be yourself and and and, and promote and, and, and uh, something that you like to do, whether it's, you know, fitness, uh, you know, it's running or cycling, or you like riding horses right. or cooking or whatever it is that is your passion, uh, you know, people see that, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, the, that's the difference between, you know, what I would consider like passionate marketing, marketing versus, you know, sort of like check the box marketing, yeah. you know, people say like, well, what should I, what should my Instagram account look right. like? Well, you know, it, ideally it should look like Desiree Yazdan's, right. right? But you have, you can't just so hire wait, somebody to do that. It's also a 1% better thing. I'll just tell a funny story that hopefully will will add some value. So I have a Nacho team members and part of their thing is to add, add con, con add content to our community in a way that feels comfortable for them. But some people are super comfortable, some people are not comfortable, they don't have to share anything privately, but you know, what's your favorite TV show? But one of our team members uh, who's great and you know, Arielle, um, she asked recently, uh, I'm going to Napa, does anyone have any wineries I should visit? And 300 people started commenting from, that's my dream, this is this. And it was just such a great moment in the social media world mm -hmm. where everybody of all ages and stages could come together. And you know, even people who don't comment much or even people who sometimes don't get to me, they were saying, you should go see the Silver Oak Winery or I wanna do that or who you're gonna be with. And it just showed you how the true power of social media, social connections can just make people feel awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for and, sure. you know, Paul and I have talked a lot about what I do, and I'll, I'll challenge the dentists out here, and I do this a lot on dental nachos, to network with their local dentists. I know Paul loves when I do right, this. I love but, it. Uh, it's really easy. Every four months, every three or four months, I pick a local, like, restaurant or brewery somewhere that I like. I pick an evening that works for me and my schedule. I don't work, usually work on Friday, see patients on Friday, so I'll pick a Thursday evening, and I do a cheap Vistaprint invite to maybe the local closest 15 or 20 dentists to me, specialist, general dentist, you know, whatever. Send out an invite a few weeks ahead of time. Say, hey, meet me here for just a casual get together. We don't bring stone casts or, you know, right. talk to bring cases there. It's not a study club. And just network with my local dentists. And, you know, Paul and I have talked a lot about how I do this and encourage other dentists to do this. And it's been a huge uh, personal and business, you know, boon to to my practice. I have a, I should call it the, uh, I woke up on Monday morning and forgot that implant wrench, uh, you know, get together or something. You know, right. That's that's really What's been the it. impact Cliff? So I mean, I, just, I, I encourage yeah. you for be a kind and like me. So I know you had to draw some of these dentists in who I'm going to guess were skeptical of the entire thing. Right. Oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. but now that they're going, what's been some of, you don't have to mention their by name, but what's been some of the impact yeah. on them as professionals, as people by going out and seeing people face to face, not on Facebook and really talking to them as fellow dentists and humans. Yeah, I think I can see sort of just the relief when these other solo practice owners, uh, you know, there's a stretch here of less than 10 miles along this Highway 23 here that my practice is next to, where there are, you know, over 10 dentists now in this small stretch, and most of them are solo practitioners or have maybe one associate, and most of them are general dentists. And I see the sort of the relief on their face when they show up and we're just either not talking clinical or we're maybe complaining about the practice right. or just talking about our family. I mean, that's usually what goes on with these things. Uh, and just being genuine and connecting and you kind of see when they leave, they're like, oh, there's, you know, these other signs that I see, these other dentists near me are, you know, friendly and other people are going through what I'm going through 
or they just like the same beer I like or whatever. You know, it doesn't have to, we don't even have to talk about practices and stuff, but uh, we don't talk a lot of business there. It's just a connection and it's probably not a direct, you know, spreadsheet ROI on it or anything, but I, you know, have, hey, uh, we ran out of this temp material. We thought we had another one. I've got a case coming this afternoon. Can I run a mile down the street and grab this from your office? Uh, yeah, sure. If I can text the other dentist, I don't have to call their office. Like, who is this guy? Cliff, you know, do you actually run office? that mile to the, to the other office? I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? You, do you actually run that mile to the other office? Paul and I are wondering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna guess. But Cliff, yeah, what you're I, sharing uh, here, and I know we're going to talk about brochure, but it's just, yeah. I just want to take a moment and compliment you, but also just encourage other people to do it. What you do is easy. What you do is not expensive. It's just consistent, like no. putting in your workout program. And what you're doing is you're changing lives in, in, a, in a totally poignant way. You may be saving lives because dentists often feel, I mean, that's my whole point of dental nachos, but I wanted it to be what you're doing, to feel less alone, to feel like you're not in a cave, to feel like, I say, having a dental practice, this resonates with the two of us, um, Rob, you know, a decade ago, is like having a three-year-old child that never grows up for the rest of your life. And there's amazing things about having a three-year-old child, and you get a lot of compliments, and it also can drive you crazy. And your business, and probably, Rob, is, is basically that three-year-old child operation where it's sometimes doing great, sometimes not. You, you call oh, my, my child's eating dirt, too. It's not very smart. Right. And you just can, you know, you can just resonate, you can just feel that energy of people who are like, oh, you're like me, how I feel is okay. Yeah. And one of the things I'll share is the social, there's a double edged sword to social media because sometimes people only show their best stuff, which is can mm. create a, an, an, a feeling inside of people in their real dental offices that, oh man, these people never have any issues or never have any challenges. I'm like, well, someone just quit in my office before they showed up. True story. That's a true story, by the way. We hired someone, they quit before they showed up. So, you know, I think people be like, this happens to Dr. Nacho too, right? So really just uh, hopefully people listening do that. Yeah. Vista Print, go to a Nacho place, invite your community to see what happens. It's easy. It's cheap. I don't, you know, if I go up and get a beer for myself, I might see if anyone else wants one, but I'm not just running an open tab there and spending, you know, hundreds of dollars or anything. I'm not picking up dinner. Maybe I'll get the first appetizer or something, but it's, it's cheap. It's easy. It's fun. Uh, you know what the, what I've learned the most from it, which was the, um, I never realized that now I'll send this to maybe the local 1520 dentist. Okay. And maybe six will show up, but you know who, does show up are the practices that I never get patients from. You know, you have that previous dentist, you know, line on your dental intake form and the patients, the dentists who don't show up, who I think uh, they think I'm trying to like trick them or something like that. They have a <laughs> yeah. fixed mindset there. We get patients just running from their practice. I feel like I should be sending flowers to their office. They send yeah. so many you know, patients to mine and you can just That's feel wild. this like growth mindset versus totally mindset yeah. on you know yeah. who's showing up to that and who isn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's very telling, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, so I'd like to shift gears for a little bit here towards the end, Cliff, and just talk a little bit about what your experience was in you know doing a, what we refer to as a quasi or hybrid startup, you know, acquiring a practice that was recently started up and, and what some of the challenges were that you faced doing that. And some of those things, as we, we've joked before, were, are not necessarily intuitive, uh, especially when you get into the world of uh, dental practice transition lending. So uh, if you can, just go through a little bit about what that process was like and what you did and how you managed it. Yeah, thanks, Rob. I, you know, I think this process I went through actually got me interested in, uh, you know, joining Paul and Bob's team with UDBA. But I was coming back from the Navy, flying back during my last, you know, year of the Navy and, look, you know, re researching, uh, interviewing for associate jobs always knew I wanted to be a practice owner, but wasn't sure that would happen, you know, flying back from North Carolina and, and to Ohio is a difficult thing to try to purchase a practice doing that. But a friend of mine told me about this practice. He said, uh, Hey, I'm looking for a practice, but this is going to be too much work for me. I don't want to put in all the, the, the elbow grease, a uh, good friend of mine. And he said, you should, but you should check it out. It sounds like something you might want to do. And I went and looked and it was, yeah, newly started practice that um, the owner had to sell for. for Quiff, I could just jump in for a second because I think I'm yeah, so yeah. so pleased that you're on our broker team. You've been great, and one of the things you know, I yeah. I didn't 
have a relationship with a Rob Montgomery in 2011. So I was sold practice by our second practice by a dual rep broker. I, I overpaid by at least $30,000. I was like, you know, later I was like, we should have better information on this, right? But as you tell yeah. the story, just I'm, you know, a JBN guy, just be nice, which is not yell at people on the Dantra group, but I'm also a just be real type person. What was this existing owner? How did they drop their nachos to be in this predicament? I think our listeners would like to know, like you go in and you say, okay, you want to sell this practice because you're in a predicament. How did that owner get himself into that predicament? Yeah. I mean, he described it to me as, uh, you know, he didn't want to be a practice owner. He had gotten into this, but, um, you know, had started this practice and realized that he wanted to, you know, be more of an associate. Um, you know, I think personally, I'd learned some things later. He was going through some personal things at the same time. So I think he was really, um, you know, stressed and it, it takes a lot of work for this startup. Uh, I think there's some, you know, a lot of misinformation out, out there about startups and what it involves and what it takes personally and financially and some of the sacrifices. And I think he's, you know, far from the only, you know, owner that's been in that predicament. And he didn't really have it, you know, listed as, you know, oh, I got to sell this no matter what, but wanted to find the right person, the right time through the right channels. And, uh, you know, luckily it worked out for myself and my family. But, you know, what Rob was referring to, you know, the, on the lending side, which is counterintuitive, you know, he wasn't able, even after this practice had been existing for a year or two, you know, wasn't even able to sell me the practice for what he was lent for. You know, they were going to lend him, you know, X amount of money. They lent him X amount of money, these banks, a couple of years before to start it. But then I came in and they wouldn't, even though he had some patients there, not not a lot, but two days a week on a light schedule, uh, they wouldn't even lend me near what he um, had been lent to start up. So it's very counterintuitive and doesn't make a lot of Why sense. Why does that happen, All the Rob? big banks gave me a big red X. Yeah, I'd end up going to a community bank and bring a board member in and have them tour the place and show them my, wow. you know, kind of business plan and stuff. Uh, right. The opportunity in the area, very difficult to finance that practice. Yeah, not the conventional route at all. And it's it's challenging enough to get a dental practice yeah. loan from a, a, a local bank, especially under those circumstances. I think it happens, Paul, because, you know, dental practice lending is kind of, it's a subspecialty of most banks. And the reason why they have their own little sub network within the uh, within the, the bigger bank is because the underwriting is different uh, with these with these deals. So most commercial loans, banks want to know, well, just like if you're borrowing money to buy a yeah. house, you want to borrow a million dollars, give me a million dollars of collateral and I'll happily yeah. lend you a million dollars. With dental practices, when you buy a dental practice, the hard assets, the actual physical assets that are the collateral might be worth a tenth right. of the of the loan. But dental practice loans generally don't default. Dentists have among, if not the lowest default rate in the economy with leases and, and loans. So banks are comfortable doing it based on cash flow, you know, what your expected profit is going to be and how much money you're going to bring in the door. So they get over the fact that they are not collateralized with hard assets by you know, the more rosier picture with, with the cash flow. So we end up in this world where we kind of have to play by their rules because we're lucky enough that as lawyers and brokers and dentists that are looking to acquire yeah. and sell practices, the fact that they're willing to put money into this allows there to be a liquid market to transition practices. But, you know, because of that, we have to play by their rules, like I said. So generally, you know, my experience has been with most dental practice lenders are there are different programs. You're either the startup program where we will lend you roughly, you know, $550,000 to buy equipment, build out the uh, the least space that you have. You took a shell space, you converted it to a to a dental practice, you put all the plumbing and the electric, you built the ops and all that stuff, and you went out and then you bought equipment. You, you can get $550,000 or more from most of those startup and dental what I focus say, lenders. I, now that we have DJ James, I think we should have a new segment uh, called Rob's Red Flags, and we should have somebody like, this is Rob's Red Flag. So James, if you can get some cool DJ voice. But what I'll share, and Cliff's now a broker, and I think he sees this, and just to add value to our listeners, if a traditional dental bank is unwilling to lend you on a dental practice, would it be fair to say that that is a red flag? You got to either turn to yellow and then green somehow. Not necessarily. Gotcha. Because this, this some, sometimes, you know, if you're looking at what it would be a more conventional acquisition, if you say, well, this practice has been around for 30 years, the seller wants $800,000 and my bank will only lend me $500,000. Yes, there's probably gotcha. a problem there. 
But here, the situation that Cliff dealt with was this sort of weird thing that is this a startup, which goes into that startup underwriting box in the bank, or is it an acquisition? So it's at least a yellow flag. It's something in the middle of uniqueness for because because Cliff said he got had to go to a community bank, which is unusual. Well, it's not going to raise a flag. It's going to make it challenging to get financing. Right. That's because the banks are looking at. For a startup, this is the startup program. And if you're not a startup, then we're going to look at you from an acquisition program standpoint. And the acquisition program standpoint, I'm guessing Cliff was, show us what the revenue of this practice is and we'll lend you up to whatever, 85 or 90% of that. Well, after the startup went for a year or two, maybe the revenue was three or $400,000 and the- Less than the original loan. Right. You know, and so now they're no longer looking at this- from a loan standpoint as a startup, they're looking at as an acquisition the same way they would underwrite an acquisition. How did you get the community guy to do it, Cliff? You offered to train him for triathlons or something? How did you get the community bank to say yes? (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah, that's not easy. Really, yeah, I mean, my accountant who, you know, was advising on whether this was, you know, made sense financially and then the bank itself, you know, both basically said, look, plan on not paying yourself for two years. Can you fund your personal family finances through. Could you say that again for our listeners? Because I think that's so important. So they said plan on not doing what, Cliff, for two years? Yeah, paying paying myself. And how did your family survive through that time? Uh, Thin. (laughs) And uh, me working and my wife has stayed home with our our daughter since day one, um, which is a, a a lifestyle choice and a sacrifice. But she was able to even do that through this by me working there two days a week another associate job two days a week and another associate job. So, I mean, you used your skill set as a dentist to get another job to fund your dream of this one. So that's reasonable. But just as you see, as you and I do brokering and Rob does this every day, all day, managing the expectations of our dental colleagues sometimes on what it means to go from an associate to a startup practice or an acquisition, they often are unaware of some of these things. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, you know, it's not something you really dream of when you come out of dental school, really putting those dues in and grinding out. But, you know, if you do that for a while, it's not forever. Um, And that allowed us to keep money in the practice and keep it towards the bills and build it and gradually start paying ourselves a a partial check. And two years in, I right about our two-year anniversary, I, you know, stopped working any other jobs and just worked there. And it's, you know, flourished and done well for for our family, but it was, you know, a sacrifice and a huge risk. But that was something that my, luckily, a good accountant and the bank both said, you know, you have to sort of prove um, that you can pay your bills every month through other resources besides this one for, you know, an, a kind of undetermined amount of time. And that's not something I think most dentists have as an expectation coming into a you know, challenging acquisition. I think uh, the theme of this podcast will be hard work pays off. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Uh, in, right. In, every, yeah, yeah. in every aspect of Cliff Moore's life. And, uh, and you know, yeah. this is a this is a dental term, Ben, Ben Rob gets it. You know, it's also just understanding the treatment plan that fits for your life, Chris, uh, Cliff, and that fit for you. I mean, you know, it fit for your family, it fit for you, but it came with pros and cons, just like a treatment plan for a fixed implant overdenture or a removable one, right? And, well, you know. And, and my friend that uh, told me about this practice, he was in my wedding. Uh, I was in his wedding. You know, we went to dental school and undergrad together. We've been friends half our lives. And he told me about this one, said he didn't want it. You know, and he waited another few years, several years, before he bought a practice. And it's what he wanted. It was a... Oh, man, sweet. And he bought a practice. Is he doing you know? terrible, Cliff, and upset every day? Or did he also find a practice that fit for him? <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, he found one that fit for him. You know, uh, he found one that was profiting and... Uh, you know, could pay him and his family what they wanted from the start without any other sacrifices and stuff. But it took him a lot longer. You know, I've been a practice owner a lot longer than him. And uh, he had to work those associate jobs, you know, a lot longer and stuff. So it was, he waited for what he wanted and luckily told me about this and knew that it kind of fit my personality and what I wanted. I like that. So it's right, I like the art. Rob, Rob's, it's the theme, the right acquisition at the right time for the mm-hmm. right person. And, you know, those three yeah. R's don't, aren't going to be the same for everybody. Absolutely not. And I think a lot of people, and, and we being in the transition space, the three of us, I think we really have an appreciation for yeah. that, that a lot of people don't realize that. They just think like, you know, I'm going to buy the practice that has the highest uh, the highest grossing practice I could find yeah. that's available on the market or the highest EBITDA. And I think that's a trap in a lot of ways that, um, you know, any kind of professional is very prone to falling into. I mean, we're dealing with dentists who are 
absolute high achievers, right? right. You, you, were, you, ex you excelled in high school to get into a good college, yeah. which then allowed you to get good grades in a good college to get into uh, a dental school, to a professional uh, school. And then you, know, you did well in dentistry, you came out and you got a good job. And now you're looking to buy the best practice. It's very easy to kind of just go along with that sort of yeah. keep checking the box of, I'm gonna do what's deemed to be the best by my peers, not necessarily what's best for me as an individual. I mean, and the people that usually make decisions based on that generally aren't happy with their lives. Yeah, I mean, if it, it's so key. Cliff works with us as brokers, you're an attorney, but you know, if you're a police officer, you're gonna see a lot of stuff that goes all wrong in Philadelphia. If you're a physical therapist, you're gonna see a lot of people who have injuries. If you're a dental-focused attorney, you're gonna see uh, contracts that were signed that were a problem and learn from these people. We have a course called The Million Dollar Profit, The Million Dollar Practice That Made No Profit, which I think is one of my best titles <laughs> because people go, I want to watch that one. And it's Bob Septak breaking down how someone came to him with a million dollar practice that essentially had zero value. And he wasn't a terrible dentist and he didn't have no idea what he's doing, but he was just mismanaging his million dollar practice in such a poignantly sad way that, you know, people should hear those stories so you, you learn from them. Yeah, that's that's good. Is that available on the Nacho? Yeah, yeah, it's on Nacho Flix. Yeah, we'll give you a free code. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty good. It's, it's, like a, it's like it's like a soap, soap opera. It's Bob. Bob's great I've because you know, yeah. you know the uh, the accountants they just turn into numbers and they just show you this is look. This is like it's like exactly when you go for an in body scan. This yeah. is what you weigh. This, this is your is. body mass. I mean, you know, you can cry about it after you get on the scale, but you're still going to be this this number. And you know, um, I'll get that out to. I'll, well, I'll give it to you for the show notes, Rob. And that's what we you know when we are uh, counseling people that are in the early stages of looking at acquisitions, the first conversation from with me and my clients is always, who is your CPA? Right. And you have to work with them to do a projected cash flow of what this deal looks like, whether it's a buy-in or an acquisition post-closing, because otherwise you are choosing what's behind door number right. two. Yes. And, you know, that is, you know, you can be surprised. It might turn out okay, may not. You know, you may got the, you know, the, uh, the luxury car or, you know, you may get, you know, a uh, a gift certificate to Denny's, you right. know, and yeah, so, but yeah, if yeah. you leave yourself to, to to chance with that, but it's counterintuitive. And I think a lot of times when I see posts on social media and people say it's a five op practice grossing one point two million dollars, this is what they're asking: Is this a good deal? Like, who knows? Right? Right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you know, people yes. chirp in like, "Yes, this is yeah. good. This yeah. is that." Like, you don't know. You have no idea. You I, know. I think what you said, Cliff, <laughs> which was so good, and I just want to bring back was you talked. Rob was, you know, you were talking so much about your your ultra marathons in the back. Everyone's getting excited, you know, you run four miles, do this. But you said something that I think if we go back and listen to it was, you have to really practice your nutrition. You can't just show up on race day with a bunch of power bars and things like that. And that's the <laughs> money part of a practice. It's not the exciting part, but that's the accounting part that lets the other fun stuff happen. You know, Mark Haas has been on the podcast, cash flows, the oxygen in your practice. And I just think it's, I hope to inspire audiences. I know I've made errors in my own practice. Of course, you want to do implants and market and do all this fun stuff. But if you don't match it up with the cash, flow, like you guys have both said, you just can have a, a big breakdown, like I'm sure you can with nutrition on these race days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. There's always something goes wrong in an ultra marathon. It's just when and what, you know, there's no, uh, there's no easy way to run 40, 50, you know, 100 miles or something. It's just you have to kind of be a problem solver and uh, know that something's going to go wrong at some point with, uh, you know, your, your electrolytes or your GI or some type of you know, foot or leg pain or, you know, something, weather, and you just have to, you know, kind of be prepared and practice so that when that does come up, you can manage around it, you know, or your day's over. Yeah, it's an awesome skill set to yeah. have. Um, and I think that's probably a good place to, for us to, sure. to wrap it up here. And, and Cliff, it's, it's been awesome having you on the show. If, if people uh, want to get in touch with you and learn more about what you do or learn more about what you do with uh, United Dental Brokers, how can they do that? Yeah, I love networking with other dentists. We have a lot of young dentists or dental students that are pre-dental students that come in and shadow at my practice. I have people reach out from all around the country that are, you know, are um, asking about practice acquisition transitions in Ohio or associate positions. You know, I, I love just, re you know, reaching out and networking, but they could reach me at email, uh, Cliff, C-L-I-F-F at U-D-B-A dot biz, B-I-Z, Cliff at U-D-B-A dot biz, or uh, Instagram at L-C underscore dentist, 
or on Strava, Clifford Moore like, on there somewhere, the guy that's doing all the running. So look Rob and I up on, on Strava or something else. I'll, I'll uh, interact on there too. But don't don't be scared when you see what, what, what Cliff is doing on a regular basis. I'm going to warn you. Yeah. <laughs> got, got, got my running this morning and, uh, and uh, you know, just playing it all out with the kids and, and everything, prioritizing and scheduling and couldn't do any of this without Katie. My wife, I got to give her the shout out. She gives me sort of the permission to to do all this crazy stuff and you know you do this ultra marathon it pretty much wrecks the whole weekend you know you got to get the in-laws to watch the kids so you can get up at four in the morning and drive an hour away and who knows how long this race is going to take you could be out there for a day or two uh you know so she's just Literally. has always given me permission to push myself and do this crazy stuff and i love her for it that's awesome cliff and then you, you said you have a, a race coming up uh, that you're going to be raising uh money for a, a veterans charity uh, if you can uh We'll put it up in the show notes too, but is there a way that people can uh, can contribute to that? Yeah, just Team RWB Columbus. It's a veteran charity that raises money. It connects veterans through their community through like physical activities. If you've ever been to a 5K or a, a race and seen the guys running around, you know, holding a flag or wearing a lot of you know patriotic stuff, it's it's the Team RWB group. I'm going to carry a flag on at the half marathon in Dublin, Ohio on Sunday learned some team RWB gear just uh I, I did a, that David Goggins challenge earlier this year and we raised uh, $8,000 for team RWB back in February uh, March and you know the Sunday's more just an awareness we don't have a specific fundraising link or anything but team RWB Columbus uh, do, does great things for local veterans and um, just one of the charities that I'm involved with but that's the one that we'll be uh, you know representing on Sunday that's awesome great well good luck uh, this weekend and uh I have a lot of respect for what you do, and uh, it's a very interesting story, and I think it's really uh, uh, inspirational for, for, for us and for our listeners. And so thank you, Cliff, and you know, keep up the good work. Awesome, Cliff. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Paul. I had a great time. Cliff was awesome, yeah, as, yeah. as suspected, right? A real uh, outline for how, you know, fitness and being purposeful, like you like to say, leads to success. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's important for everybody to realize, and Cliff said this, you know, you have to make time for it, but yeah. it doesn't have to be an ultra marathon. Right. You know, it can be just going for, you know, a short run, short jog, a bike ride, a swim, go to the gym, yeah. whatever it takes to get it done. I, and I see a lot of times I'm at the pool early mornings, you know, there's a group of like older men and women that the same people every day and they're doing their laps, right, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, uh, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. And it, if it works for you, find something that, that you like to do that fits in with your life and then just go out and do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Be more active than you were the day before. I think it's important for mental health. I think for dentists, we uh, so many decisions we have to make it every day that just can just drive you nacho nuts to your term. And I just think for me, the more active I am, the better decisions I make, the better I deal with the intensity of having to make those decisions. Yeah. And it's, it is your time, right? right? When you're doing that, you truly are, you know, nobody's interrupting you, you know, it's your on your own, in your own thoughts. And for me, that's a lot of times my, my best ideas come yeah, right, during exactly. those times, right? Yeah. I will run home and jot some things down. And I think the other thing too, that you know, and, and I think it's even more prevalent when you go to the, the the degree that Cliff goes with his training. But, you know, as he said, you know, in an ultra marathon, something's going to go wrong. Right. And that's that's absolutely the case. I mean, that's the nature of the beast with that. I mean, the people that do that stuff, I mean, they are sometimes they're they're losing their vision partially. They're hallucinating like they go into that embracing waiting for right. that bad time. And, you know, they refer to it as, you know, embracing the suck. Right. right. Like that's like when. That. That's when, when, and then they they tackle it. And the challenge is, hey, I'm going to go out, and when that comes down on me, I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to beat it. And I think, you know, having that gear for anybody, anything you do in yeah. life, especially as a business owner, helps you to grind it out. And, you know, when, when Cliff was going through those first two years of what he described very casually of, you know, taking that practice that right. was a startup, sort of, and then he acquired it, he's working three jobs, he's running his practice, that muscle that Cliff had in doing the triathlons and the training absolutely had to have enabled him to be able to grind out what he was able yeah, to do to make his practice. There's all these popular terms, pivot. I talk about making the best decisions in the moment. I mean, there's a dentist right now whose hygienist is about to tell them they produce $300,000 a year, they make $75,000, and they're about to tell them they're moving across the country and not coming back. And you just that's part of practice ownership that you have to be able to pivot and not resist. And I just think bringing awareness to the people. We talk about this being what you should have learned in dental school, but right. didn't. This is a huge part of it. Embrace the suck, right? Yeah. Right? Uh, but so we'll have all this stuff up. We have talked about a bunch of different things. We'll awesome. get them all on the show notes. So if 
people are listening want to refer to uh, the Million Dollar Practice. We'll put a link up to yeah. the, uh, the Barclays uh, Marathon. I uh, might watch that. Maybe I'll watch that with some nachos this weekend. <laughs> it's very entertaining. Yeah. It's very entertaining. And it's uh, the people that do it have a, a very twisted sense of humor. Uh, but all that stuff will be up there. And Paul, it's great to see you. Stay well. Awesome, Rob. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.